0: This episode of The New Way We Work is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. This is The New Way We Work from Fast Company Magazine, where we take listeners on a journey through the changing landscape of our work lives and explain exactly what we need to build the future we want. I'm Fast Company Deputy Editor Kate Davis. Over the past year, we've been talking a lot about the changing landscape of the traditional workplace and the factors behind the great resignation. But what about those who have left or even never joined the full-time salaried positions? Freelancing is on the rise. The number of full-time freelancers grew from about 28% in 2019 to 36% in 2020. And it's projected that in the next five years, 86.5 86.5 million people will be freelancing in the United States and will make up half of the total U.S. workforce. Joining me to discuss why more people are freelancing is Hayden Brown. Hayden is the president and CEO of Upwork, a work marketplace that connects businesses with highly skilled talent. Hayden, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Kate. So the freelance economy is growing. Um, how much of this is due to the pandemic accelerating this trend, and and like what did the move towards Freelancing look like pre pandemic?
1: The stats are mind blowing. Uh, More than a third of the US workforce is currently freelancing, and that is contributing over $1.3 trillion to the US economy alone. And what I think is really fascinating about this is it's part of a broader trend, which is professionals are claiming much more autonomy, flexibility, freedom in when, where, and how they're working. We see this broadly with The Great Resignation, where so many people are moving jobs and have really decided to reevaluate where and for whom they're working. Uh, And freelancing is part of this too. And I think this is where there's a a movement afoot, which we call the work awakening, where professionals across all sectors of kind of knowledge work are realizing they've gone through two years of um, the pandemic, They've been breaking their old habits around work, around um, what work looks like. And they've really been rethinking the value of what work needs to mean to them, of what they want their personal lives to look like. And this is a tectonic shift. This is the beginning of, I think, a very different world of work going forward. And freelancing has definitely accelerated as part of this. Uh, I think many of you uh, listening to this probably know someone who has struck out on their own as a freelancer or started a small business uh, over the last two years, as people are just choosing to construct their lives and their work lives very differently. And so um, this is something that we also see as a trend across kind of every generation of workers with the newest entrance into the workforce, staking this claim on independence and on freedom the most strongly. Almost half of Generation Z right now are freelancing, forty-eight uh, percent. So there's a huge trend afoot where I think all workers are looking for more freedom and flexibility. Freelancing is one piece of how that's showing up, and just generally, people are trying to innovate their careers. I think in
0: very new and different ways. So you touched on on a couple of things that I want to get to. You know, the generational shift for sure. But I, you know, you mentioned the Great Resignation, and I'm I'm interested kind of what the split is, well, one, why are workers choosing to freelance for those that are choosing to freelance? And, and, you know, you mentioned probably, you know, somebody who's freelancing and I, and I do, my husband is now freelancing. He moved from having a a full-time salary job to a freelance job. It wasn't his choice though. He was laid off from his full-time job. And then the, the job that he has since found has been freelance. Are you seeing that? Like, what's the share between people choosing to freelance, um, and why, and the, the people kind of forced into it or, or doing it because they've they've lost their traditional jobs?
1: Definitely the composition as you look at the folks who are freelancing, there's a lot of different drivers. But we have been in this business and working with this population for many, many years and, and running studies, frankly, on this workforce for many, many years. And we've seen a couple of things pretty consistently. One is a lot of people choose to freelance, the disproportionate majority, I think it's like 60 to 70% consistently for many, many years have said the reasons they're freelancing are around wanting more freedom, flexibility, and control over when, where, and for whom they're working. And that's been a consistent theme that goes back many years and has continued to accelerate over the course of the pandemic. And I think those themes around control and flexibility are showing up even more, again, for freelancers and for people who are doing non-freelance work, but are looking for those levers of control and freedom in more traditional full-time work experiences, whether that's, you know, foregoing a commute, working from home multiple days a week, and other things. I think those trends kind of cut across all sectors of workers um, today. To your anecdote around your husband, and I'm so sorry to hear about, you know, his getting laid off and then having to go on this new path, what we do see, though, with folks who have entered the freelance workforce more out of force than choice is, quite often for them and for their counterparts who've, who are freelancing by choice, they actually do end up earning more as freelancers as they did actually when they were working in traditional full-time work. So they may not start out that way. Maybe initially they kind of have to get their feet under them, start building their reputation, their career, et cetera. But then very quickly, they start actually having a really strong earnings profile. And we actually see in our surveys, more than 60% of people freelancing say there's no amount of money that they could be paid to go back to a full-time traditional job for a number of reasons. One is the earnings they're finding are actually really strong. Um, And then the other benefits they get as independent professionals are also really compelling as compared to a traditional job. So all of those things together, I think, are increasingly a really compelling offering for so many folks who have either by force or by choice entered the freelance um, kind of world. And so many of them are saying, I would never go back to a traditional job market because, or a traditional full-time job, because this is such a compelling um, way of working.
0: Let's go back to that generational trend that that you mentioned. I kind of had a feeling when I was starting to think about this episode. I'm like, I bet it's more Gen Z. And and I'm not surprised to hear you say it. Why is its is it Gen Z? And, and are you seeing shifts in other generations? Or is it just that Gen Z is thinking very differently about work?
1: Yeah, I think it's a few things. I mean, one is it actually goes to the anecdote of what happened to your husband, which is not, unfor- it's unfortunately, a reality for so many people who've gone through not just, you know, um, the current tumultuous ex- experience of the pandemic and so many of the layoffs that happened in the past couple of years, but also what happened in 2007 and 2008 with that recession. And if you look at what's happened in the last, you know, couple decades of work, As younger generations of workers have seen those experiences of, you know, their parents, their aunts and uncles, like older workers, they have also seen that traditional full-time employment is not all it's cracked up to be, and that working for a single company is not actually a low-risk proposition necessarily. And so I think more and more workers have woken up to the fact that working for a single employer is actually risky. And so there's a different risk calculus, I think, in many of today's workers who are saying, wait a minute, instead of putting all my eggs in one basket, I want to de-risk my situation. I want to have um, an entrepreneurial career where I'm relying on myself, not on a single employer for my prospects. And they're finding that they are actually feeling more comfortable and more de-risked by having a career that is freelance, whereas I think older and other generations of workers had an opposite view, where they felt that the the entrepreneurial career path might have been more risky. So I think more workers are waking up to a different idea about where the risk lies. And Generation Z workers in particular, the 40% of whom are already um, freelancing today, as I mentioned, are saying, let me build a career on my own that both attends to a different view of where the risk is and uh, feeds the needs that I have around many passions that I might have and want to be earning income around, around maybe a more um, skills-based and project-based idea of how I prove my worth and assemble a career that is um, more heterogeneous than just this kind of single track with a single employer. And so they're constructing these careers that I think look very different because of a different set of interests, needs, um, passions, et cetera, that they are trying to pursue, and just a different idea of what a modern career looks like. So all of that comes together, I think, much more acutely for those workers, but we also see, you know, other generations of workers participating at a high rate. You know, in this, 44% of millennials are freelancing, 35% of Gen Z, 21% of Boomers. So it's not exclusively uh, Gen Zers, but I think it's, you know, all generations of workers are realizing there's different value propositions for this type of career path. And on the other side, um, you know, businesses are realizing if they want to tap into this talent, you know, they need to have strategies for doing so.
0: That's such a great point that you made that I hadn't considered. You know, I myself uh, got laid off in the, the last recession in the 2008 recession and freelanced for a while. And, you know, and thinking about that Gen Z was watching that happen and, and rightly saying maybe a full time job isn't the most secure thing. But you're right in that we used to think, you know, like the, it was always you get a good job and you work at that job for 30 years and then you retire. And that's just not the reality for almost anybody anymore.
1: Totally. And with workers on our platform on Upwork, what we see is on average, they have a stable of four to five steady clients that they're working with. And so in that sense, as we've talked to them going through, for example, you know, the latest pandemic, a lot of them are telling us, I feel more secure now going through this pandemic and any economic downturn that happens, knowing I have the stable of clients. If one of them goes away, I still have other ones and other ways I know I can kind of bring on new business versus if I were working on a traditional employer. We heard that again and again from our customers um, on the talent side, which is so fascinating versus, you know, people who are sitting there hoping, you know, well, man, I've got this one employer. I hope I don't get laid off. It's a very different situation that we heard that loud and clear over the last two years.
0: Yeah. And that's a really great point. You know, when I, I mentioned when I was a freelancer, I think the best advice that anybody gave me, and I think it was another freelancer said, diversify your portfolio. Like do not have just one client because that was my, I was in such a mindset of, of you have one job and I got a good freelance contract that was like enough. So I was like, there you go. I'm set because freelance can be like such a hustle. Right. And like finding, building your reputation, finding your clients. So I was like, oh, I got this one. And she's like, no diversify your portfolio. If one falls through, then you have others as a backup. Aside from that, which I think was like the best freelance advice I ever got, what other advice would you give to somebody who's who's starting out or, or, or considering starting out freelancing?
1: It's, it's interesting. I think a lot of advice that freelancers getting started um, give each other and what we learn from as we hear them on the platform. People start out I think it can be a kind of a blasting out of like, hey, let me just—I'm getting going. Let me just blast out my information and kind of apply to every single opening that comes along, and and really kind of just go broad with um, my my attention. And instead, what we see for people who are really successful and the coaching that we see freelancers giving other freelancers on our platform is be really specific and be really tailored because every freelancer has unique skills and expertise based on, you know, their industry that they've been working in or the degree that they have or whatever else. And what we see is people don't need to do a big mass market campaign to like every, you know, potential client that's out there, but when they take the time to really customize their approach on The jobs that are being posted, for example, in our marketplace and say, hey, you know, client so-and-so, I saw your job post. Here's the exact thing that I can do for you. Here's why I'm super relevant to your position and take a little more time to offer a really customized and thoughtful introduction or proposal. That goes miles, and I think people don't realize that. I think they think it's a numbers game, and they just need to kind of spread that their message far and wide and have a you know a, a very simple, non-customized approach. But the opposite is true. When people are customized and thoughtful, it really stands out from the crowd, and they can break through and get started. And then those relationships that they start building can last for you know years, um, doing that return and repeat work with their clients. And so I think those are great ways that people get started and really can shine out of the gate.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic advice. I will say, you know, I I've been on the other side for a very long time and I work with a lot of freelancers and get a lot a lot of freelance pitches. It it makes a big difference. You're 100% right. If it's just a like I'm blasting it out like here hire me or I've taken the time to read your website and know what types of stories you cover and here's an idea that fits in your website or here's related stories I've done before that are similar to the, you know, like doing that, that extra research, which I can totally understand, you know, as a freelancer, when you're hustling, like that takes extra work, but you're right. It's extra work that absolutely pays off. Yeah. Huge ROI there. So you, you mentioned, um, industries a little bit. I, are there industries that are seeing a bigger shift towards freelance work? Is it more in certain industries than in others? I think
1: what's exciting is this is incredibly broad-based. Freelancers are in high demand in pretty much every skill uh, area that can be done in front of a computer. It was what we see. So everything from, technical skills, um, computer programming, um, development, software, everything in that genre is extremely in demand, which is understandable because as everyone saw, basically every business became a digital business um, during the pandemic if it wasn't already. And then things like marketing skills, um, creative, design, illustration, every business that we work with or know about was trying to reach their customers in new ways, in new channels, you know, at higher degrees again, through the pandemic and coming out of that, that's a permanent feature now for every business. So all of those skills are incredibly high demand. Um, And then we see everything uh, for freelance, you know, copywriters, translators, every business is going global. So every business is now trying to reach customers in new markets, in new languages. Um, We also see demand for uh, customer service and people who can do all of that frontline work that's really human work. You know, these jobs are not going to be automated. People need folks that can be on the phone and talking in real terms, you know, to their customers, there's a huge demand for those types of skills as well. Uh, And then everything around back office functions, you know, accounting, finance, legal, all of these things um, are are huge. We've seen a ton of growth on our platform around um, uh, consulting services. That's always been, I think, a real stronghold for freelance work. And more of that work I think has moved from, Relationship-based and niche, and kind of you know the big consulting firms to now a much longer tail of that work happening online and through you know platforms like ours. So it's broad-based, um, and I'd say it's also across every business type. We see uh, large enterprises. You know, we serve thirty percent of the Fortune 100. They're using freelance talent in in more new ways, as well as mom and pop shops. You know, small companies are realizing that this is a workforce that they can be tapping into as well. So it's cutting across, I think, you know, all sectors of the economy, all all types of skills. um, And this is just kind of growing at accelerated rates, which is just super exciting for all the folks who are participating in this.
0: This episode of The New Way We Work is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. That's a great point that you make. You're like any job that can be done at a computer, which and that so many businesses that weren't didn't think of themselves as digital first businesses are now. And, you know, as as you brought up, you know, globally, it's, you know, remote work and freelance work has really opened up people to being able to work at a location that is not where the central office is located. We touched a little bit about employers and we talked about that a little bit. What should an employer consider before hiring freelancers? And also, I guess on the other end of that, knowing you know all of this information that you led with about what people lo- love about freelancing and and what they're looking for differently in their jobs. If you're an employer listening to this and you want to make your positions or keep your people uh, more desirable to to people who who have these desires what what should employers consider for both for both keeping and retaining or attracting full-time employees and for hiring freelancers
1: employers have been going through this big evolution over the last two years where i think so many of them realized that remote work could work for them or at least was going to be a new fixture on the landscape and they were going to have to grapple with that and what it meant for their teams and Um, coming out of the pandemic, you know, I think a lot of companies now are figuring out, can they call their teams back into the office? What's that going to look like? And then for those that have decided that remote work can and will be a new part of their, um, you know, landscape going forward, that does open up a lot of new talent to their company. And you mentioned um, this idea, Kate, of tapping the talent that's not in you know, their backyard or in the, the local um, you know, office where they may have been hiring before. And I think that is one of the most compelling and exciting things for employers coming through this pandemic and out the other side, realizing that suddenly the talent shortages that I've been hearing about from businesses you know for the decade that I've been working in this company and longer and are more acute than ever as they're facing the great resignation. And to your point, how do they retain team members who now are looking for new things, whether it's, you know, shorter commutes, whether it's more flexibility, all of these things, I think employers need to be considering a couple things. One is um, really letting go of this idea that the work needs to happen in a set location for for so many functions. Now, clearly in manufacturing and certain areas, like, the work does need to happen on site. But for so many of these jobs, we've seen and tested and realized, I think, collectively as a society that so many of this work can be done remotely. Now, that doesn't mean it always has to be at distance. We can combine wonderful in-person team events and meetups and connections that we were not able to do during the pandemic with a great distributed model for people who really can work at home a lot of the time. And so I think we need to realize that remote work during the pandemic is not the same as remote work post-pandemic. And that That is an important distinction to make. So let's embrace that and design new work practices that combine the best of what remote work really can be with in-person models that we can embrace now that um, we have vaccines and so many other things that are opening up again. Um, I think for tapping into hybrid teams of freelancers, people need to move beyond the unit of work being the full-time employee, which has been the mindset in companies for so long. It's kind of like, I need some work done. How many people do I need? I'll hire three people to do it. And I think that model and that mental model is dead. People need to realize the unit of work can't be the FTE. They need to move to a project-based idea of what is really need, what needing to get done here. And is that a six-month effort? How many people are required? What is the expertise of those people? And do I need those people permanently on my team indefinitely to be hired, you know, as FTEs, or do I need to bring in experts for a period to get that work done? and then um, reevaluate what the next phase will be. And I think that is actually a more realistic model that caters to the needs of the business and to um, the workers who are out there in the freelance uh, economy and elsewhere who can be brought in on those types of project-based efforts, who, by the way, the business can build long-term and and, um, relationships with that can be very enduring for many years. But again, it may not be the FTE model that in the past they were very accustomed to. And I think once businesses start to adapt that type of a mindset, that's much more about agility and bringing those resources as needed and scoping the projects as needed, it opens up a world of talent that they were not previously tapping into, much more agility and efficiency in the business model itself, which is actually just what they need in this fast-moving business landscape. And it's a win for the talent and for frankly things like diversity where the business potentially wasn't bringing in enough, you know, fresh thinking, potentially actual diversity in terms of who is the composition of the workforce and so many other things. So this is a wonderful moment that I think is a win-win for businesses, for talent, but it does require all of us to think a little bit differently. I think about how the work is happening, where the work is happening and who is composed uh, inside of the workforce.
0: So you've made a really compelling case for why employers, you know, would want want to hire a freelancer. How can employers make their jobs more desirable to freelancers? I remember, um, I feel like this is the most obvious one, but when I was a freelancer, the the thing I hated about it most was chasing up payments. And, you know, if an employer had a reputation of being late on paying or not paying their freelancers, you know, that obviously made you think twice about taking the job. That seems like a basic, you know, like pay your freelancers in a timely fashion. But other than that, like how, how does an employer, you know, attract a a freelancer?
1: Well, I mean, your, your example, Kate is a really good one. It's why platforms like Upwork exist because you're right. The number one concern freelancers have is getting paid. And that's why people come to our platform to get the work done is because we guarantee um, for both sides that the payment will happen and that the work will happen. And that is no small thing because, you know, that is table stakes for everybody. They need to know that these things are going to happen. The other pieces of it, though, a lot of it is cultural. Um, freelancers are people. They don't want to feel like they are a disposable asset. They don't want to feel like they are a marginalized part of the business, nor should they be because they're being brought in to do specialized work that is valued by the business. And so a lot of it is around the business. Um Reframing perhaps um, how they are going to do things like onboarding. You know, if they're going to bring in a resource uh, from the freelance economy to do XYZ project, it's not about throwing it over the wall and being like, oh, good, Kate's here. Uh, You know, here's a document. Go do it, Kate. It's even just having a half hour onboarding uh, module or a one hour thing that's, hey, here's what we do when we bring in freelance talent in, you know, the engineering department. Here's what they need to know. Here's the, you know, whatever the um, ground rules need to be and the cultural touch points that these these team members would need to know these are team members who need to be attuned to the you know the the culture of the company the nomenclature whatever else just like an fte you know maybe not the same level of every detail but there are things that these people will need to know to be successful and so i think companies that are successful with freelance talent have thought through what's the onboarding again it's not going to necessarily be the same as an fte onboarding process But they know how to set up these folks for success and how to integrate them into the team in a way that's appropriate and effective and so that these team members feel valued as they should be. And I think that goes so long in terms of the distance of making these folks feel like they are set up for success, being able to deliver great work, um, use their voices effectively to advocate and bring in a valued outside perspective that the company absolutely needs in order to do great work, get
0: great ideas, and all the rest of it at fast company much like other companies we work with a lot of contractors and freelancers and it is something that we we think about and could probably even do better at is how to integrate them into your company culture but also into the the decision process and the you know knowing kind of what's going on and and to a certain extent you know not that we we did a whole uh, episode recently on meetings not that anybody wants more meetings but it is kind of including freelancers in regular meetings so that they do feel like a part of the process and not just like a cog sent to do an x job and be done you know totally
1: and this is one of those things where like most things in life you're going to get out of it what you put into it right so if you're if you really want to make this successful if you think through those types of things which meetings are these folks going to be part of how are they included in different company rituals or not some uh freelance team members might be considered more part of our core operations and other ones are more um, on demand and as needed because they're, you know, um, utilized very occasionally for things. These distinctions matter and they will produce different results for the business. And what we see with our customers and with our own business, which by the way, three quarters of Upwork's own workforce is independent talent. Um, So we have a huge, uh, long history of 15, 20 years of working with an independent workforce inside of our own operations. And so we know very well that, you know, the better we are at integrating these folks into the team appropriately, building long-term relationships with talent that's worked with us 15, 20 years, you know, as independent talent, um, it pays huge dividends. And again, this is a model that is ultimately relationship-based. This is not about quote-unquote outsourcing to some quote-unquote gig worker. This is not it. This is about long-term enduring relationships that serve these workers and these professionals with their incredible skills and that serve our business in a way that is truly a win-win, but it takes thoughtful design and thoughtful investment to make um, that outcome happen.
0: That's a great point. Like not thinking about it as gig work, but really being thoughtful in your approach. So, you know, you mentioned early on and we've covered a lot about the benefits of freelancing and what and what freelancers gain from moving to this type of work from a full-time position but i think you know for a lot of people the the one sticking point or the one thing that keeps them yoked to their their salaried full-time jobs are the benefits part of it and and you know that's something that you typically lose as a freelancer things like paid time off paid sick time health insurance is a huge one and retirement benefits how are the current crop of freelancers dealing with this and thinking about this
1: yeah Benefits is obviously a top of mind issue and it varies hugely by geography um, because obviously in the U S our benefits and social safety net situation is very different than, you know, in Europe, uh, in a lot of European countries, at least. And so according to our research, you know, most highly skilled freelancers do make more money freelancing um, than they were making as full-time employees. And that does help. And this helps in the sense that they actually want more flexibility in choosing their benefits then they even got as, you know, employees, which I think a lot of employees are frustrated because they get kind of the set menu from their employer. And it's kind of like, well, I'll take it or leave it. You either get A or you get nothing, but that's kind of like your choices are, you know, A or, or B or, or nothing else. The key is uh, freelancers really do want to have the benefits um, that, you know, everybody wants and needs in um, society. They want to be able to choose those benefits. Typically, what they're doing is um, buying those benefits themselves, you know, in in the open market. And that is an important thing that, you know, we've made some major advances um, in the U.S. with Obamacare and other, you know, things moving in the right direction. But I think still there is a systemic problem in the U.S. where we are well behind where we need to be in terms of so many of the benefits kind of deeming tied to traditional employment. And I will say the direction I think we need to be moving in is not forcing uh, freelancers into full-time jobs to get benefits, but rather evolving our benefits frameworks to serve a part of the economy that really is moving forward and serving people in a way that they want. you know, they don't these freelancers don't want to become employees just to get benefits. I think that's that's a really critical piece to understand as you t- as we talk to them as we do the research with them. But we are also seeing, what is exciting, a lot of companies that are innovating in the benefit space and offering more options and choices to freelancers. So, for example, we did a partnership with a company called Catch, um, which offers kind of benefits to freelancers broadly who can participate in, to your point, not just buying and, and self serving on healthcare benefits, but also things like um, savings for retirement, financial planning, things like that. And I think as this economy, to my point earlier of this is you know $1.3 trillion of, of contribution in the US alone, as this economy is growing, we are seeing a lot more innovation in this space so that there are more choices and more options for freelancers to be getting the full array of financial services, health and other benefits that truly they deserve, which has historically been an underserved market. And I think it's exciting that it's moving in the right direction as there is a lot more companies that are kind of innovating uh, solutions in this space.
0: That's a great point. And I should say to listeners that this is a topic that we're going to dive a little deeper on in an upcoming episode uh, solely on portable benefits and the idea of distangling benefits from a full-time employment. But definitely something that I wanted to touch on, at least, you know, when when talking about freelancing, because it is it is a crucial part that is keeping people usually, you know, the, the kind of the tipping point that that'll make people stay or go from a full-time job to a freelance job.
1: Which I mean, how sad is that by the way, Kate, that someone is staying in a job they hate potentially, or they would rather not be in just because of the benefit situation. I mean, that is, yeah, that is just a sorry state of affairs. Uh, and we know that that's happening.
0: Yeah, for sure. And and we've even talked about, you know, we've talked a lot on the show about childcare and and how that, you know, affects employment and the idea of like that there's some solutions where a private employer will have like an on site daycare, but then that's yoking your childcare situation to your job and that these things all of these like public services and public benefits and, and social safety nets really do need to be distangled from the idea of of one single employer and one single job. But that's kind of going down another road. So we'll, and we'll uh, dedicate more time to that in another episode, but you, you touched on it a little bit when talking about this, kind of what the future looks like and what the freelance, you know, what it should, or, or what you think it will, the freelance economy look like in the next five to 10 years.
1: I think it's incredibly exciting. And, and I go back to the maxim that I think, um, I think it was Bill Gates who said, most people overestimate how much change will happen in the next one to two years and underestimate how much change will happen, you know, 10 years from now. And I think when we look at the freelance economy specifically, it's already become so much more mainstream in the last five years. And it is, it is all around us. And yet I think people probably don't even realize how how mainstream it is. And so if I look out 10 years from now, I think it will have even flipped to where, freelancing will become such a dominant part of how people everywhere are participating in work, whether it's as a part-time thing, a full-time thing on the side. I see so much career innovation happening all around us, you know, led by the Gen Zs who are really stepping into their careers in very different ways, um, but certainly not exclusively to them. And I think when we look at businesses, for example, 10 years from now, the composition of their workforces, which today, I think most people, you know, when they imagine that, if you ask someone to imagine like your prototypical company, you know, they're thinking mostly of full-time employees and maybe on the margin, a few freelancers or contingent staff members, um, which I think by the way, under represents how much um, freelance and contingent staff are participating in many, even like large global corporations today. But if we fast forward 10 years, I think the picture will look very different where The core um, FTE group at a company will be a much smaller footprint. The wider kind of concentric circles of freelancers participating in any company's performance and success will be much bigger. And it'd be be a much bigger workforce of contributors uh, versus what we see today. And I think that flip will be radical over the next 10 years as companies really rethink who are um, their workforces who are these participants and who need to be employees versus freelancers that are really driving uh, value for them. So I think that evolution is going to be um, quite significant. And I think for people in terms of what their careers look like, I think it will look very different 10 years from now in terms of how they think about that, you know, career arc. Whereas today, it's a lot about still that narrative of, you know, a single employer and these longitudinal steps, you know, one your LinkedIn profile is like one you know, employer to the next, a two-year stint here, a two-year stint there. I think that too in 10 years will the expectations around that will have shifted quite significantly. Um, and in ways that I think generally, again, I think there is a win-win here, which is which is unusual. I think often these narratives, even the way they're portrayed in the media, are portrayed as kind of this win-loss. Um, I think in this one there is a real win-win if we, if we approach this. With fresh eyes, from the business and from the um, the the professional standpoint, I think both can come out ahead.
0: If we've seen anything in the last two years, it's it's that a lot of change can happen in the world of work, and and it makes complete sense that five to ten years from now we'll be in a very different place than we are right now. Hayden Brown, CEO of Upwork, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Kate. And that's all for this episode. If you're a new listener, be sure to subscribe to The New Way We Work wherever you listen. And if you liked this episode, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And we want to hear from you. Have you ever freelanced? What was your experience? Email us at podcast at fastcompany.com or tweet us with the hashtag The New Way We Work. The New Way We Work was produced by Joshua Christensen with editing by Nicholas Torres.